Chapter Twenty Eight of All Along the River. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. All Along the River by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Eight. Though love and life and death should come and go. Isola was alone in the spacious Roman drawing-room, its wide windows open to the soft, warm air. The sun was off that side of the house now, and the Venetian shutters had been pushed back, and between the heavy stone pillars of the loggia she saw the orange and magnolia trees in the garden, and the pale gold of the mimosa beyond. The sun was shining full upon the hill of gardens, that hill at whose foot Nero was buried, in secret, at dead of night, by his faithful freedman and the devoted woman who loved him to the shameful end of the shameful life. That hill whose antique groves the wicked Caesar's ghost had once made a place of terror. The wicked ghost was laid now. Modern civilization had sent Nero the way of all phantoms, and fashionable Rome made holiday on the hill of gardens a military band was playing there this afternoon in the golden light and the familiar melodies in don giovanni were wafted ever and anon in little gusts of sweetness to the loggia where the violet crimson of waxen camellias and the softer rose of oleander blossoms gave brightness and colour to the dark foliage and the cold white stone Isola heard those far-off melodies faint in the distance, heard without heeding. The notes were beyond measure familiar, interwoven with the very fabric of her life, for those were the airs Martin Disney loved, and she had played them to him nearly every evening in their quiet, monotonous life. She heard unheeding, for her thoughts had wandered back to the night of the ball at Lostwithiel, and all that went after it the fatal night that struck the death-knell of peace and innocence. How vividly she remembered every detail, her fluttering apprehensions during the long drive on the dark road, uphill and downhill, her eagerness for the delight of the dance, as an unaccustomed pleasure, a scene to which young beauty flies as the moth to the flame, her remorseful consciousness that she had done wrong in yielding to the temptation which drew her there. The longing to see Lostwithiel once more. Lostwithiel, whom she had vowed to herself never to meet again of her own free will. She had gone home that afternoon, resolved to forego the ball, to make any social sacrifice, rather than look upon that man whose burning words of love breathed in her ear before she had enough of nerve or calmness to silence him, had left her scathed and seared as if the lightning had blasted her. She had heard his avowal. There was no room now to doubt the meaning of all that had gone before, no ground now for believing in a tender, platonic admiration, lapping her round with its soft radiance, a light but not a fire, that which had burnt into her soul to-day was the fierce flame of a dishonouring love, the bold avowal of a lover who wanted to steal her from her husband and make her a sinner before her God. 
she knew this much had brooded upon it all the evening and yet she was going to a place where she must inevitably meet the tempter she was going because it was expedient to go because her persistent refusal to be there might give rise to guesses and suspicions that would lead to a discovery of the real reason of her absence she had often seen the subtle process the society searchlight by which trelasco and foy could arrive at the innermost working of a neighbour's heart the deepest mysteries of motive she was going to the ball after all fevered anxious full of dim forebodings and yet with an eager expectancy and yet with a strange overmastering joy how should she meet him how could she avoid him without ostentatious avoidance knowing how many eyes would be quick to mark any deviation from conventional behaviour somehow or other she was resolved to avoid all association with him to get her programme filled before he could ask her to dance or to refuse in any case if he asked her he would scarcely venture to approach her after what had been said in the lane when her indignation had been plainly expressed with angry tears no he would hardly dare and so in a vague bewilderment at finding she was at her journey's end she saw the lights of the little town close upon her and in the next few minutes her carriage was moving slowly in the rank of carriages setting down their freight at the door of the inn vaguely as in a dream she saw the lights and the flowers the satin gowns and the diamonds the scarlet and white upon the walls brush and vizard vizard and brush he was not there she looked along the crowd and that tall figure and that dark head were absent she ought to have been glad at this respite and yet her heart grew heavy as lead later he was there and she was waltzing with him at the last moment when he was standing before her cool self-possessed as it were unconscious of that burning past she had no more power to refuse to be his partner than the bird has to escape from the snake she had given him her hand and they were moving slowly softly to the music of the soft slow waltz myosotis myosotis mystic flower which means everlasting remembrance would she ever forget this night their last meeting safest possible meeting place here in the shine of the lamps in the sight of the multitude here she could so easily hold him at a distance here she might speak to him lightly as if she too were unconscious of the past here she was safe against his madness and her own weak unstable heart which fluttered at his smallest word and so the night wore on and she danced with him more times than she could count forgetting or pretending to forget other engagements going through an occasional waltz with another partner just for propriety's sake and hardly knowing who that partner was knowing so well that there was someone else standing against the wall watching her every movement with the love-light in his eyes 
then came the period after supper when they sat in the ante-room and let the dances go by hearing the music of waltzes which they were to have danced together hearing and heeding not and then came a sudden scare at the thought of the hour was it late late very late the discovery fluttered and unnerved her and she was scarcely able to collect her thoughts as he handed her into the carriage and shut the door surely it was a grey horse that brought me she exclaimed and in the next minute she recognised lostwithiel's broom the same carriage in which she had been driven home through the rain upon that unforgotten night when his house sheltered her when she saw his face for the first time yes it was his carriage she knew the colour of the lining the little brass clock the reading lamp the black panther rug she pulled at the check-string but without effect the carriage drove on slowly but steadily to the end of the town she let down the window and called to the coachman there was only one man on the box and he took no notice of her call yes he had heard perhaps for he drew up his horse suddenly by the roadside a little way beyond the town a man opened the door and sprang in breathless after running it was lost with ill you put me into your carriage she cried distractedly how could you make such a mistake pray tell him to go back to the inn directly they were driving along the country road at a rapid pace and he had seated himself by her side clasping her hand he pulled up the window nearest her and prevented her calling to the coachman why should you go back you will be home sooner with my horse than with the screw that brought you but the fly will be waiting for me the man will wonder let him wonder he won't wait very long you may be assured he will guess what has happened in the confusion of carriages you took the wrong one isola i am going to leave cornwall to-night to leave england perhaps never to return give me the last few moments of my life here be merciful to me i am going away perhaps for ever take me home she said are you really taking me home is this the right way of course it is the right way do you suppose i am going to drive you to london he let down the glass suddenly and pointed into the night isola do you see where we are there's the signpost at the crossroads there's the tower of Tardreath church though you can hardly see it in this dim light are you satisfied now he had drawn up the glass again the windows were clouded by the mist of their mingled breath the atmosphere was faint with the odour of the faded chrysanthemums on her gown and the carnation in the lapel of his coat all that she could see of the outer world was the blurred light of the carriage lamps the high-spirited horse was going up and down the hills at a perilous pace at this rate the journey could not take long and then and then he came back to the prayer he had breathed in her ear more than twelve hours ago in the wintry lane he loved her he loved her he loved her could she refuse to go away with him having woven herself into his life having made him madly helplessly in love with her 
Could she refuse? Had any woman the right to refuse? He appealed to her sense of honour. She had gone too far. She had granted too much already, granting him her love. She was in his arms in the dim light, in the faint dreamlike atmosphere. He was taking possession of her weak heart by all that science of love in which he was past master. Honour, conscience, fidelity to the absent, piety, innocence, were being swept away in that lava flood of passion. Helpless, irresolute, she faltered again and again. Take me home, lost with you. Have mercy. Take me home. He stopped those tremulous lips with a kiss, the kiss that betrays. The carriage dashed down a steep hill, rattled along a street so narrow that the wheels seemed to grind against the house fronts on each side, downhill again, and then the horse was pulled up suddenly in a stony square, and the door opened, and the soft, fresh sea breeze blew among her loosened hair and upon her uncovered neck and she heard the gentle plish-plash of a boat moored against the quay at her feet. "'This is not home,' she cried piteously. "'Yes, it is home, love, our home for a little while, the home that can carry us to the other end of the world, if you will.' The quay and the water and the few faint lights here and there grew dark, and she knew no more till she heard the sailors crying yo heave yo and the heavy sails flapping and the creak of the boom as it swayed in the wind and felt the dancing motion of the boat as she cut her way through the waves felt the strong arm that clasped her and heard the low fond voice that murmured in her ear isola isola forgive me i could not live without you that which came afterwards had seemed one long and lurid dream, a dream of fair weather and foul, of peril and despair, of passionate, all-conquering love. Today, as she lay supine in the afternoon silence, lying as Tabitha had left her, in a fevered sleep, the vision of that past came back upon her in all its vivid colouring almost as distinctly as it had reacted itself in her hours of delirium, when she had lived that tragic chapter of her life over again, and had felt the fury of the waves, and breathed the chill salt air of the tempest-driven sea, and had seen the moon riding high amidst the cloud chaos, now appearing, now vanishing, as if she too were a storm-driven bark in a raging sea oh god how vividly those hours came back the awful progress from ushant to arcachon the darkness of the brief day the horror of the long night the shuddering yacht with straining spars and broadside beaten by a heaving mass of water that struck her with the force of a thousand battering rams blow after blow each blow seeming as if the next must always be the last the final crash and end of all things. The pretty, dainty vessel, long and narrow, rode like an eggshell on those furious waters, here a long wall of inky blackness, rising like a mountain ridge, 
and bearing down on the doomed ship, and beyond, as far as the eye could reach, a waste of surf, livid in the moonlight. What helpless insignificance, as of a leaf tossed on a whirlpool, when that mountainous mass took the yacht and lifted her on cyclopean shoulders, and shook her off again into the black trough of the sea, as into the depths of hell. And this not once only, nor a hundred times only, but on through that endless seeming night, on in the sickly winter dawn, and in the faint yellow gleam of a rainy noontide, on through day that seemed mixed and entangled with night, as if the beginning of creation had come round again, and the light were not yet divided from the darkness. Oh, those passionate, never-to-be-forgotten moments, when she had stood with him at the top of the companion, looking out upon those livid waters, fondly believing that each moment was to be their last, that the gates of death were opening yonder, a watery way, a gulf to which they must go down, in a moment, in a little moment, in a flash, in a breath, at the next, or the next, or the next mad plunge of that hurrying bark. Yes, death was there, in front of them, inevitable, imminent, immediate, and life and sin, shame, remorse, were done with, along with the years that lay behind them, a page blotted and blurred with one passionate madness, which had changed the colour of a woman's life. She knew not how she bore up against the force of that tempest, clinging to him with her bare wet arms, held up by him, crouching against the woodwork, which shook and rattled with every blow of the battering rams. She only knew that his arms were round her, that she was safe with him, even when the leaping surf rose high above her head, wrapping her round like a mantle, blinding, drowning her in a momentary extinction. She only knew that his lips were close to her ear, and that in a momentary lull of those awful voices he murmured, We are going to die, Isola. The boat cannot live through such a storm. We shall go down to death together. And her lips turned to him with a joyful cry, Thank God! Then again in a minute's interval he pleaded, Forgive me, love, my stolen love. Forgive me before we die. And again, Was it a crime, Isola? If it was, I forgive you, she whispered, clinging to him as the blast struck them. Cruel revulsion of feeling, bitter irony of fate, when the great grim waves, which had seemed like living monsters, hurrying down upon them with malignant fury to tear and to devour, when the awful sea began to roar with a lesser voice, and the thunder of the battering rams had a duller sound, and the bows of the yacht no longer plunged straight down into the leaden-coloured pit, no longer climbed those inky ridges with such blind impetus as of a cockle-shell in a whirlpool. Bitter sense of loss and dismay, when the grey, cold dawn lighted a quieter sea, and she heard the captain telling Lostwithiel that they had seen the worst of the storm, and that there was no fear now. He was going to put on more canvas, 
and hadn't the lady better go below where it was warm she needn't feel any way nervous now they would soon be in the roadstead off arcachon she had not felt the chill change from night to morning she had not felt the surf that drenched her loose entangled hair she hardly knew when or how lostwithiel had wrapped her in his fur-lined coat but she found that she was so enveloped presently when she stumbled and staggered down to the cabin and flung herself face downward upon the sofa in a paroxysm of impotent despair death would have delivered her the tempest was her friend and the tempest had passed her by and left her lying there like a weed more worthless than any weed that ever the sea cast up to rot upon the barren rocks yes she was left there left in a life that sin had blighted loathsome to herself hateful to her god she locked herself in the cabin while the hurrying footsteps overhead told her that lostwithiel was working with the sailors an hour later and he was at the cabin door pleading for one kind word entreating her to let him see her were it only for a few moments to know that she was not utterly broken down by the peril she had passed through he pleaded in vain she would give no answer she would speak no word indeed in that dull agony of shame and despair it seemed to her as if a dumb devil had entered into her her parched lips seemed to have lost the power of speech she lay there staring straight before her at all the swinging things on the cedar panel the books and photographs and lamps and frivolities vibrating with every movement of the sea her hands were clenched until the nails cut into the flesh her heart was throbbing with a dull slow beat that made itself torturingly audible did god create his creatures for such agony had she been foredoomed everlastingly in that awful incomprehensible antenatal eternity foredoomed to this fallen state to this unutterable shame hours went by she knew not how again and again lostwithiel came to her door and talked and entreated heaven knows how tenderly with what deep contrition with what fond pleading for pardon but the dumb devil held her still she wrapped herself in a sullen despair not anger for anger is active hers was only a supine resistance at last she heard him come with one of the sailors and she could make out from their whispering talk that they were going to force open the door then she started up in a fury and went and flung herself against the cedar panels if you don't leave me alone in my misery i will kill myself she cried the long night was over and the sun was high it seemed as if they were sailing over a summer sea and through the scuttle port she saw a little foreign town nestling under the shelter of pine-clad hills she woke from brief and troubled slumbers to see this smiling shore and at first she fancied they must have sailed back to cornwall and that this was some unknown bay upon that rock-bound coast 
but the sapphire sea and the summer-like sunshine suggested a fairer clime than rugged britain while she was looking out at the crescent-shaped bay and the long line of white villas the anchor was being lowered the sea was almost as smooth as a lake and those tranquil waters had the colour and the sheen of sapphire and emerald she thought of the jasper sea the sea of the apocalypse the tideless sea beside that land of the new jerusalem where there are no more tears where there can be no more sin a city of ransomed souls redeemed from all earth's iniquity a boat was being lowered she heard the scroop of the ropes in the davits she heard footsteps on the accommodation ladder and then the dip of oars and presently the boat passed between her and the sunlit waters and she saw lost withiel sitting in the stern with the rudder lines in his hands while two sailors were bending to their oars with wind-blown hair and cheery smiling faces broad and red in the gay morning sunshine he was gone and she breathed more freely there was a sense of release in his absence and for the first time she looked round the cabin where beautiful and luxurious things lay thrown here and there in huddled masses of brilliant colour a japanese screen a masterpiece of rainbow-hued embroidery on a sea-green ground flung against the panelling at one end persian curtains wrenched from their fastenings and hanging awry satin pillows that had drifted into a heap in one corner signs of havoc everywhere she stood in the midst of all this ruin and looked at her own reflection in a venetian glass riveted to the panelling about the only object that had held its place through the storm her own reflection was that really herself that ghastly image which the glass gave back to her the reflection of a woman with livid cheeks and blanched lips with swollen eyelids and dark rings of purple round the haggard eyes and hair rough and tangled as medusa's locks and bare shoulders from which the stained satin bodice had slipped away her wedding gown could that defiled garment the long folds of the once shining satin draggled and dripping with sea-water could these tawdry rags be the wedding gown she had put on in her proud and happy innocence in the old bedroom at deenan with mother and servants and a useful friend or two helping and hindering oh if they could see her now those old friends of her unclouded childhood the mother and father who had loved and trusted her who had never spoken of evil things in her hearing had never thought that sin could come near her and she had fallen like the lowest of womankind she had forfeited her place among the virtuous and happy for ever she martin disney's wife that good man that brave soldier who had fought for queen and country it was his wife who stood there in her shame haggard and dishevelled she flung her arms above her head and wrung her hands in a paroxysm of despair then with a little cry she plucked at the loose wild tresses as if she would have torn them from her head 
and then she threw herself upon the cabin floor in her agony and grovelled there a creature for whom death would have been a merciful release if i could die if i could but die and no one know she moaned she lifted herself up again upon her knees and with one hand upon the floor looked round the walls of the cabin looked at a trophy of moorish and italian arms which decorated the panelling searching for some sharp dagger with which she might take her hated life and then came the thought of what must follow death not for her in the dim incomprehensible eternity but for those who loved her on earth for those who would have to be told how she had been found in her draggled wedding gown stabbed by her own hand on board lord lostwithiel's yacht what a story of shame and crime for newspapers to embellish and for scandal lovers to gloat over no she dared not destroy herself thus she must collect her senses escape from her seducer and keep the secret of her dishonour she took off her gown and rolled train and bodice into a bundle as small as she could make them then she looked about the cabin for some object with which to weight her bundle yes that would do a little brass dolphin that was used to steady the open door that was heavy enough perhaps she put it into the middle of her bundle tied a ribbon tightly round the hole and then she opened the scuttle port and dropped her wedding garment into the sea the keen fresh wind with the wind from pine-clad hills and distant snow mountains blew in upon her bare neck and chilled her but it helped to cool the fever of her mind and she sat down and leaned her head upon her clasped hands and tried to think what she must do to free herself from the toils in which guilty love had caught her she must escape from the yacht she must go back to england somehow she thought that if she were to appeal to lostwithiel's honour some spark of better feeling would prevail over that madness which had wrecked her and he would let her go he would take her back to england and facilitate her secret return to the home she had dishonoured but could she trust herself to make that appeal could she stand fast against his pleading if he implored her to stay with him to live the life that he had planned for her the life that he had painted so eloquently the dreamy beautiful life amidst earth's most romantic scenes the life of love in idleness could she resist him if he should plead it might be with tears he whom she adored her destroyer and her divinity no she must leave the yacht before he came back to her but how there were only men on board there was no woman to whose compassion she could appeal no woman to lend her clothes to cover her she saw herself once again in the venetian glass in her long trained petticoat of muslin and lace so daintily fresh when she dressed for the ball muslin and lace soddened by the sea torn to shreds where her feet had caught in the flounces as she stumbled down the companion during last night's storm a fitting costume in which to travel from arachon to london verily 
she opened a door leading to an inner cabin which contained bed and bath and all toilet appliances hanging against the wall there were three dressing-gowns the lightest and least masculine of the three being a robe of indian camel's hair embroidered with grey silk a shapeless garment with loose sleeves and a girdle here within locked doors she made her hurried toilette with much cold water she brushed her long ragged hair with one of the humblest of the brushes she would not take so much as a few drops from the great crystal bottle of eau de cologne which was held in a silver frame suspended from the ceiling nothing of his would she touch nothing belonging to the man who wanted to pour his fortune into her lap to make his life her life his estate her estate his name her name could she but survive the ordeal of the divorce court and shake off old ties she rolled her hair into a large coil at the back of her head she put on the camel's hair dressing-gown and tied the girdle round her long slim waist and having done this she looked altogether a different creature from that vision of haggard shame which she had seen just now with loathing she had a curious puritan air in her sad coloured raiment and braided hair scarcely had she finished when she heard the dip of oars and looking out in an agony of horror at the apprehension of lostwithiel's return she saw a boat laden with two big milliner's baskets and with a woman sitting in the stern the men who were rowing this boat were not of the crew of the vendetta she had not long to wonder she unlocked her door and went into the adjoining cabin while the boat came alongside and woman and baskets were hauled upon the deck three minutes afterwards the cabin boy knocked at her door and told her that there was a person from arcachon to see her a dressmaker with things that had been ordered for her she unlocked the door for the first time since she locked it at dawn and found herself face to face with a smiling young person whose black eyes and olive complexion were warm with the glow of the south golden in the eyes carnation on the plump oval cheeks this young person had the honour to bring the trousseau which monsieur had sent for madame's inspection monsieur had told her how sadly inconvenienced madame had been by the accident by which all her luggage had been left upon the quay at the moment of sailing in truth it must have been distressing for madame as it had evidently been distressing for monsieur in his profound sympathy with madame his wife in the meantime she the young person had complied with monsieur's orders and had brought all that there was of the best and most delicate and refined for madame's gracious inspection the cabin boy brought in the two baskets which the milliner opened with an air taking out the delicate lingerie the soft silk and softer cashmere peignoirs frilled petticoats a fluff and flutter of creamy lace and pale satin ribbons transforming simplest garments into things of beauty she spread out her wares chattering all the while and then looked at madame for approval isola scarcely glanced at all the finery she pointed to the only plain walking-gown among all the delicate prettinesses the silks and cashmeres and laces 
a grey tweed tailor gown with no adornment except a little narrow black braid i will keep that she said and one set of underlinen the plainest you can take all the rest of the things back to your shop please help me to dress as quickly as you can i want to go on shore in the boat that takes you back but madame monsieur insisted that i should bring a complete trousseau he wished madame to supply herself with all things needful for a long cruise in the south he was mistaken my luggage is safe enough i shall have it again in a few days i only want clothes to wear for a day or two kindly do what i ask her tone was so authoritative that the milliner complied reluctantly and murmuring persuasive little speeches while she assisted madame to dress all that she had brought was of the most new expressly arrived from paris from one of the most distinguished establishments in the rue de la paix fashions changed so quickly and the present fashions were so enchanting so original she must be pardoned if she suggested that nothing in madame's wardrobe could be so new or so elegant as these latest triumphs of an artistic faiseur madame took no heed of her eloquence but hurried through the simple toilette insisted upon all the finery being replaced in the two baskets and then went upon deck with the milliner i am going on shore to his lordship she said with quiet authority to the captain it was a deliberate lie the first she had told but not the last she would have to tell she landed on the beach at arcachon penniless but with a diamond ring on her wedding finger her engagement ring which she knew by a careless admission of martin disney's to have cost fifty pounds she left the milliner and went into the little town dreading to meet lostwithiel at every step she found a complacent jeweller who was willing to advance twenty-five napoleons upon the ring and promised to return it to her on the receipt of that sum with only a bagatelle of twenty francs for interest since madame would redeem her pledge almost immediately furnished with this money she drove straight to the station and waited there in the most obscure corner she could find till the first train left for bordeaux at bordeaux she had a long time to wait still in hiding before the express left for paris and then came the long lonely journey from bordeaux to paris from paris to london from london to trelasco it seemed an endless pilgrimage a nightmare dream of dark night and wintry day made hideous by the ceaseless throb of the engine the perpetual odour of sulphur and smoke she reached trelasco somehow and sank exhausted in tabitha's arms what day is it she asked faintly looking round the familiar room as if she had never seen it before thursday madam you have been away ten days the old servant answered coldly it was only the next day that tabitha told her mistress she must leave her there is no need to talk about what has happened she said i have kept your secret i have let no one know that you were away i packed susan off for a holiday the morning after the ball i don't believe anyone knows anything about you unless you were seen yesterday on your way home then came stern words of renunciation 
a conscientious but rather narrow-minded woman's protest against sin. End of chapter 28